Stampede. Garner is in 210, recorded 12-17-2023. President Biden, for the first time, publicly stated if Trump weren't the Republican candidate on the 2024 election, he'd step down for re-election. He's claiming Trump is a danger to America's democracy. But if he were the Republican candidate for 2024, he'd have to run and defeat him. Well, There are two curious things about that statement. One, as of today, most national polls show Biden has one of the lowest approval ratings of any sitting president running for re-election. And two, the truth is Biden was elected in 2020 by a process called machine politics, which is in and of itself, a form of corruption to the democratic process. Machine politics relies on patronage, favoritism, of briberies, nepotism, and intimidation in major metropolitan cities both on the east and west coast of this country. The chances of a Republican winning election as mayor of New York City Boston, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco, or Seattle is a rarity. That's because about 50% of America's electorate don't vote, leaving municipal elections in those cities heavily controlled by people who are employed to work for a city like teachers, policemen, firemen, garbage collectors, or city administrators, building inspectors, or other union construction contractors like carpenters, plumbers, or any other tradesmen. Those employees are aligned with the principle, if you vote Democratic, 
you get a job to work for the city. Union bosses are historically involved with voting for labor and are a big part of machine politics. That's how Biden was reelected to public office for 50 years and why there are people who serve in the U.S. Congress, both as representatives or senators, who have remained for 30 or 40 years in office. They're automatically reelected. So when Biden says he wants to save democracy by defeating Trump, it's really a joke because corruption and payoffs run wild in machine politics. Let me be clear. I am neither a Democrat or Republican. I don't even vote for either party. I stand with the natural world and not rank politicians who only serve their own self-interests.
Biden is a shrewd politician, and what he's really saying is that he may not run for re-election because he's hearing voices from his Democratic Party suggesting he's been sitting out in the sun too long and cooked as a candidate, and even perhaps has dementia. They may ask him to step down for 2024. Now, I won't talk about Trump's populism and his solid base of supporters, or even his legal entanglements. Perhaps many of his legal problems are politically motivated. And if there is one thing machine politicians can't tolerate, it's someone who's on a populist ticket. When Hillary Clinton referred to Trump supporters as deplorables, it ended her political career in 2016. But as I said, I don't support either a Democrat or a Republican party. I only try to predict what our future looks like. Now, in strong measure, the United States is financing two wars, one in the Middle East, the Israel-Hamas war, and the other in Europe, the Ukraine-Russian war. I might also say the money America is spending to support those two conflicts comes from borrowed money. If you haven't noticed lately, the U.S. federal government is in debt to over $33 trillion and has to figure out, or should I say, manipulate a way to borrow money to stay open. That, of course, could cause a crisis within our federal government. And recently, behind closed doors, politicians have verbally attacked some of our military generals, a very rare occurrence. And let me interpret what that suggests. This country may be close to a second civil war. To put it bluntly, there is no way our $33 trillion debt is going to be resolved without some enormous pain. It's like a balloon filled beyond its capacity and explodes. Of course, that's not the only thing I see in our future. I've long advocated this country can't rely on building weapons of mass destruction to secure the well-being and safety of the American people. It's in and of itself a failed policy of deterrence and may have allowed those kinds of weapons to be surreptitiously smuggled into our country by foreign adversaries. No, we aren't safe. We're vulnerable.
I try predicting our future by what we do in the present. I don't rely on what polls say, although I depend on statistics to determine direction. I'm not shy in expressing my opinions about our politicians, particularly those who have been repeatedly reelected for 40 years. I don't mind someone remaining in office if he or she were doing a good job, but I flat out dislike hypocrites, especially if they're pompous and arrogant. And if they're responsible for creating our federal government's debt of $33 trillion, which I might say is a crime against the American people, I'm willing to forgive someone who demonstrates humility. But that's nearly non-existent. These political buffoons who stand in front of cameras claiming they're working for the people of this country are really working on behalf of corporate donors who support their continued re-election to office. The truth is power has a way of corrupting, but it's even more troublesome when corruption begins in the process of being elected. Take, for example, a senator from New Jersey who was recently found to have gold bars, hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash, stored away in his home and facing criminal charges for bribery from a foreign government. You'd think, as a U.S. senator, he'd at least step down from his important position working for the people in this country. But no, he doesn't. And I'll tell you why. Because a man with his position of authority loves his power. It makes him feel important. Power corrupts, first by using corruptive practices for getting elected, and then corruption while serving in office to keep control of power. Looking at the entire picture, this process is rotten and diseased from beginning to end. Criminally charging these people isn't enough. They should be ridiculed by laughter. One thing these arrogant clowns can't stand is being laughed at. Instead of demonstrating outside their offices, or on the floor of the Senate or House of Representatives. Every time they open their mouth to speak, people should confront them with laughter, demean them with laughter, humiliating them for who and what they represent. That's right, laugh them out of office.
Now, it's not my responsibility for recommending a way to resolve the human tragedy that's occurring in the Middle East. It could result in a worldwide catastrophe. I've been seeing horrific images of suffering by the Palestinian people, and I don't claim a simple solution for what has lasted for over three quarters of a century or even longer. Allow me to say, in this world, nothing remains the same forever. And the truth is that someone or some country claiming ownership of something one day may in time change and belong to someone else. Now the land the Palestinian people claim was theirs was taken from them in 1947. But that land was claimed and controlled by the Ottoman Empire for nearly 500 years till 1918. So maybe the Israeli people or the Palestinian people should return the land they claim is theirs back to the Ottoman sultans who controlled it for centuries. But things don't work out that way. However, I have an idea about how to stop the killing that's going on today. It's not an easy solution, but in recent history, there has been something like what I'm about to suggest, and it was the partition of India forming the country of Pakistan. In 1947, it separated the Muslim people from the Hindus and Sikhs after 90 years of British rule in India. After World War II, Lord Mountbatten was given the task of granting India its independence. But he saw the need to separate the Muslim population from India and drew the lines separating India into two parts, forming the Islamic State of Pakistan. There were other complications, like a large Muslim population to the east that is now Bangladesh. But that's another issue. Now, this is my point regarding the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Israel, geographically, is about 9,000 square miles of land. So, if the Palestinian people were given 9,000 square miles of land to live and prosper as an independent country, wouldn't that alleviate a major source of this conflict? So, where would the Palestinian people be given 9,000 square miles to call their own country? Well, right next door is the Sinai Peninsula, sparsely populated and owned by the country of Egypt. Now, if the world wants to end the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the world for its own safety should buy 9,000 square miles of Sinai Peninsula from Egypt. Buying 9,000 would bring additional wealth to Egypt, and the world would have to build a country out of the desert. New housing, new schools, new hospitals, new mosques, water and electricity, new everything, 
a place that the Palestinian people would call their own, erasing their history and starting anew. It would take time, but in the ancient world of the Middle East, it could shape a new time, perhaps a time of peace. I want peace, but giving the Palestinian people 9,000 square miles in the Sinai Desert might not satisfy them, even if it were given to them free, and the world was obligated to build everything they'd need for a new country, including water to irrigate their orchards and electricity to light their cities. Yes, It would be an enormous undertaking, and the new Palestine would be called the Land of Peace. That's Garner's recommendation to find peace in the Middle East. My podcast, Garner Isn't, may not be it, but it's close to the truth. And if I can't say the truth, I'm nothing.
This week on Garner Isn't, you first heard a 1984 cut from Roxy Music, Avalon, The Mythical Island, with Brian Eno on the synthesizer. Eno went on to be a pioneer in ambient music. Next, you then heard his composition, Weightless, for the 1995 documentary movie, Apollo. Then, from the 1994 movie, The Crow, you heard New Zealand's composer, Graham Ravel's cut of Birth of the Legend, followed by more work by Ravel, from the Chronicles of Riddick, Hunt for Riddick, a 2004 release. Then more from Roxy Music, you heard more than this. And to close, a shortcut from Ravel's Birth of the Legend. Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.